You're listening to the Metro LA Podcast, an official podcast of the LA International Church of Christ. So, um, so we're in John chapter eight. We got all the way up to it, and and I gave a little bit of an explanation about why uh, this first section, verses one through eleven, wasn't included in, or actually, I shouldn't say it wasn't included. It's it's being set apart. The newer your Bible, the more they're setting it apart. Uh, older NIVs um, would have a little footnote saying that some of these were not in the early manuscripts. The newer ones, and this is not a brand new one, but it's only probably three years old, has it italicized and set apart so that uh, you know that that doesn't go with the rest of the chapter. So I thought about it more yesterday. I gave a real brief explanation that I might go back over it again just to make sure you understand. I don't want anybody feeling uh, worried or upset or that, oh no, does that mean we can't count on the Bible? Or does that mean that the story's not true? Or da da da. No, no, we can be very confident. I want to just tell you why it was in question um, and what was in question, because that's probably even more important. Uh, the reason why it was in question as to whether that chapter 8, verses 1 through 11 belongs there is. And, and there's there's a lot of reasons, but I'm just giving you some of the main ones. Um, it's not in the oldest manuscripts. You know, the manuscripts are the oldest copies of the Bible that we have. And particularly of the book of John, we've got fragments that go back all the way to the end of the first century. So within a decade of John writing them. So, so uh, this is really an incredible, incredible resource. But in those older ones, it's not in there. Um, and the other is the fact that some of the better known or, or better quality manuscripts, it's not in those either. And, and it's also not quoted by some of the early commentators, uh, which in itself doesn't necessarily mean anything, but you look for that, you know, you look for that. Um, and it, and it matches, it actually matches in language and in form Luke more than it does John. And and even the synoptic writings, it, it 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 goes really well in Luke. And there are manuscripts where this story is in Luke. Um, so now, what is not being questioned is, did it ever happen? You know, scholars, and certainly me, <laughs> well, forever, whatever that's worth, believe that that it did happen. It just didn't get included in the normal fashion that other stories did. Remember I talked about yesterday how these stories were compiled, particularly Luke. He took all the stories and the, the eyewitness accounts and he compiled them to make the gospel of Luke. And there's a good possibility that maybe Luke hung on to this one and it didn't make it in all his manuscripts. And some some there were copies of it where it's just the story itself. And somebody said, well, we got, you know, we know it's Jesus. We know it's teachings. And we know it's important, so where do we put it? Where where does it go in? And as I said at the beginning of the Gospel of John, some the, the order is different in John than it is in the synoptics. Again, because not, in, in especially particularly in Jewish writing, not everything is chronological. Really, how things are put together just is important. It's kind of like movie making in that you'll put certain scenes because they set the tone, they make a statement. Uh, they set up the movie, the rest of the movie. 
And and so that whole scene of Jesus clearing the temple is right at the beginning of John because it really sets a tone for the rest of the book. The the struggle between light and darkness, the 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 challenge of who is Jesus and does he have a right to do this and is he the son of God? All that is encapsulated in that scene right at the beginning. So it kind of sets the tone. And I gave the example that if I got, if I on my way home today, you know, stopped the store, got some groceries and then stopped and get gas at the gas station, I got robbed. Um, and then I go home. I wouldn't start out when Michelle says, hey, what happened today? I wouldn't start out saying, well, I got some vegetables and then I got some juice. And then I, that's not, I would probably start with the robbery. You know, and then then tell her, oh yeah, I was coming from the store, because it's the more significant event, and it really is what describes what happened to me, that was significant over the last hour. So, so uh, these are the kind of things that critics will throw at the Bible and say, ah ha, it wasn't true. No, it's just different ways of of writing things. Um, so I have written in my in on the on that slide there. Does it mean that it's not inspired? No, it doesn't mean that at all. And it probably was kept separate for a long time and merely added late, you know, or or, uh, or moved late, you know. But but it's a just such an incredible story, and so well describes Jesus. And that and part of the reason people say Luke is Luke is the gospel that really highlights stories with women, with the poor, and with foreigners. Boom! Here you've got this story with a woman that is. That is so foundational to who Jesus is. So it's a great story. It's and it, it, it's and it. I'm. I have no doubt that it happened. That it's inspired by the Holy Spirit. That it's recorded for us to learn from. So I don't really care where in the book it is. I'm just glad we have it. I'm glad somebody kept it, and and I'm sure it was the Holy Spirit didn't want this story lost. So I, I gave the chapter a title, and here's my title. It's a trap. <laughs> Um, for those of you who are Star Wars fans, you know exactly where that's coming from and you know who that is in the picture and the rest of you just think I'm weird and that's okay. Um, but uh, it's a trap, okay? So there's there's uh, there's this whole scene with the woman caught in adultery that was basically a setup. It was a setup from, from the beginning. Well, let's go ahead and jump on in. We'll start reading John chapter 8. We're going to read 1 through 11. Um it says, then, then they all went home, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, of Moses, in the law Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. So you see the the setup, you know, Jesus is there bright and early at dawn. I mean, the sun's barely come up. The crowd is gathered. He's already teaching. The Pharisees show up with this woman, which is suspicious already because, I mean, why would they show up at dawn, right? You know, right at the beginning of the day. Um, if this were not planned out, you know, and, 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 you know, the, and many people point out the obvious problem with this whole scenario is where's the guy, where's the, where's the man caught in adultery? Why is it just her, you know? And, and, um, and so they bring him, but they bring him, 
uh, this woman. And, and they, the trap is that, of course, if Jesus says, let her go, and he disobeys the law of Moses, and if he, and if he says stoner, then he is acting in a very different way than what he's been teaching about forgiveness and not judging. So, so it's supposed to trap him in here, in this. And most likely this was a married woman because that's what the law dictated, that a married woman who commits adultery would be stoned, not a, not a young woman. Um, some scholars would argue that she was probably very young. Um, I, you know, I don't know about that, but, but, um, what's, what's absolutely amazing is how Jesus deals with this. So it says, Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. Um, okay. The million dollar question is what was he writing? <laughs> you know, people, what, if you're guessing, this is, this is a fact, and this is the only time we ever hear of Jesus writing anything. I mean, he didn't write anything. He didn't write the Bible. He didn't write any of the Gospels. Um, this is the only time we know of him writing anything. And uh, and you know, there's 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 some I thought pretty clever guesses. Um, yeah, I have them here on the screen for you. There's Exodus 23. Some people think he wrote this down. Verse one says, "Do not spread false reports. Do not help a guilty person by being a malicious witness." that he was writing, it is written, right? Uh, or verse seven, do not deny justice to your people, to poor people in their lawsuits. Have nothing to do with false charges and do not put an innocent or honest person to death for I will not acquit, acquit the guilty. That he might've been writing that out or, or even more clever, <laughs> Jeremiah 17, verse 13, Lord, you are the hope of Israel. All who forsake you will be put to shame. Those who turn away from you will be written in the dust. And he was, and some people say that maybe he was writing their names in the dust. <laughs> that, that that would be pretty, uh, pretty, uh, pretty intense. So we don't know, but he bends down and he starts to write on the ground with his finger. And when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them. Let any of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. You know, I love this scene because uh, for so many reasons, you know, the, the, uh, I remember uh, there was a brother, I believe it was uh, Mufid, or I can't remember if it was Mufid or one of the other brothers that came from the Middle East and told a story that there's a story of where Muhammad is brought of woman caught in adultery. And they ask him what to do with her, and they tie her basically to two horses one arm to one horse, another arm to the other horse. And of course they hit the horses and they tear the woman in half. Contrast that to what does Jesus do? He protects her, you know, and, and it really kind of exemplifies John three seventeen, which talks about Jesus did not come to condemn the world, but to save it, right? That he didn't come. I mean, she was very condemnable. She was guilty. She was caught. 
There was no doubt of her guilt. There's no defense here. She's not saying, oh, I didn't do that, or I was framed, or, no. I mean, every, everybody agrees she's guilty. That's not in question, whether she's guilty or not. The question is, what do you do with a guilty person? You know, and how do you handle a guilty person? Of course, the Pharisees wanted her punished. More than anything, they wanted Jesus trapped. But but that is the way the Pharisees would handle it. They would want her punished. Um, and Jesus does something that's really altogether brilliant. You know, he 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 says, okay, you with without sin cast the first stone. Technically, by the law, the witnesses, those who witnessed the crime, have to throw the first stones. Um, but he says... No, you without sin, you throw the first stones. And and you got to love it because it's a scene that just must have been so powerful. Everybody's standing around looking and they all see the woman and they know it's a trap. And they're, not, they're probably a lot of them thinking, oh man, this time they got Jesus. This time they trapped him. And some are probably thinking, oh no, no, wait, watch. He's going to come up with something brilliant. He always does, you know, and, and, and everybody's wondering and his disciples are probably like, oh my gosh, what's he going to do now? And he says that, and it's so true and it's so right. And it says that people started leaving one by one, the older people first, because of course, the longer you've been around, the more, you know, what a sinner you are, the more, you know, how guilty you are. I am, you know, there's the, I mean, are you kidding me? I mean, there's no doubt in my mind that I'm a sinner and that I need. The only way I'm going to get to heaven is by God's grace and mercy and kindness. I'm certainly not going to get anywhere by my righteousness, you know, and now there's anybody else. There's a one person on this planet, righteous and holy enough to earn their way to heaven. And so Jesus confronts that and he says, you without sin, you throw the first stones. And they start leaving the older ones first until there's nobody there, you know. And I just, oh my gosh, I would love to have been there to seen that, to have seen that. And and uh, so it's only Jesus and the woman staying there left. And Jesus straightened up and asked her, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Remember what I say about Jesus' questions. Why is he asking that? Why is he asking that? He's pointing out that no, nobody condemned her. More importantly, he doesn't condemn her. He doesn't condemn her. In fact, what he does, she says, no one, sir, then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. You know, people, sometimes people think that, oh, Jesus was so soft on sinners. He wasn't. He was merciful. He was compassionate. He was kind, and he gives everybody time and chance to repent, to turn their lives around, because ultimately that's what he wants. He doesn't delight in people being punished. God does not delight in people being punished. God is, is, is it's painful for God to see people punished, because like any father who loves his children, the last thing you want to do is see your children suffer, and even when it's their fault. You still don't really want to see that. You still don't want to have to witness that. You want your kids to do great. You want them to be safe. You want them to be saved. You want them to be with you for eternity, right? This is 
if 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 the you know if, if we're any good as parents, God is so much better, right? Um, and and so she says, no one, sir, and he says, neither neither do I condemn you. But at the same time, even though he always is defending and protecting, and and not condemning, he does call her to a life of no sin. He says, go now, and leave your life of sin, which kind of connotates that, you know, she may have even been like a prostitute or may have been, you know, immoral, maybe someone who was known for immorality. And that's why she was so easy to grab, you know, or, or there was something about her life that just probably gave her a terrible reputation, which makes the story even that much more dramatic that she was clearly somebody or clearly she was somebody who everybody thought was a loser was was a mess was evil or a sinner or i mean and and especially in the pharisees and the, and the scribes they would consider her no less than evil because of her life of sin and he tells her go now and leave your life of sin get a new start start over do it right now and this is really kind of the whole gospel i mean this is why this is such a fantastic story because it's almost the entire gospel wrapped up in, 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 in one story here. You know, of course, we know that that um, it's not just a matter of stopping sinning. Somebody's going to have to pay for her sin. And that's what Jesus is going to eventually do is pay for her sin. Not just should she stop sinning, but that she has the previous sins covered, so to speak, sacrificed, atoned with God. But... What a powerful story and what a great way to, to show Jesus' heart. So when you come to him and you're laden down and you're burdened with your sin, know you know the response he's going to give you. You know how he feels about you. And, and uh, so just a beautiful, beautiful story of the heart of Jesus. Um, so, of course, the Pharisees, they're challenging Jesus. They're challenging who he is. Uh, I'm going to jump forward because uh, we don't have time to go through the whole thing. But the very next verse, verse 12, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You know, that it's so important that people understand who Jesus is and what he's offering to us. Everybody wants a great life. Everybody does. It's what we're all after, right? We take different roads, whether it's education or sports or 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 talent or all the above, and and or we work hard or we we're aggressive or we we dream and go after it and try to get an education or training or or get the right job or get the right spouse or or get the right. Um, family and we think this is going to be life as we want it to be lived right and and we meet many many challenges and the point of all this is that Jesus is the life he's the light he's the one that illuminates he's the one that brings understanding it's him it's not it's not wealth it's not material goods it's not the things of this world and that is so hard for us to change that channel. It's so hard for us to understand. I mean, honestly, I pray, I ask God, just help me be free of all those things. 
and and because they're they're like magnets, they pull right, and you get enough of them, and you feel pulled. You know, I think I I, I go to Mexico or I go to Africa, and I think I have so much. I've got too much. I have too many blessings. I need to share my blessings. I need to get rid of a lot of these blessings. I have too much stuff. I I come home and I want to get rid of everything. And then I go to Costco and I start feeling like I need this. I need that. I need one of those. I need one of those. You know, you go to Best Buy or go to go to uh, any of these stores. And all of a sudden I feel like I'm supposed to have more. It's that magnet. It's that deception of the world. And, and Jesus stands in the middle of that and says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You'll be, you'll have you'll, everything you really, really want. Soe, life to the full, understanding, confidence, strength, inner strength. All that comes from Jesus. He's the originator. Love. Is there anything more important than being in love with God and love and in loving relationships with your family and your friends and and, and sharing your heart and your life with others. No. I challenge anybody. No. Talk to people who are dying. What really matters to them? What really counts? There's one of the chicken soup for the souls asked, interviewed all these people. What are your regrets? None of them said, I wish I would have worked more. Or I wish I would have saved more money. Or I wish I would have had a nicer car. No. They all say the very similar things. I wish I would have spent more time with the people I love. I wish I would have devoted myself to my family more. I wish I would have spent more time with my spouse or with my kids or with my friends. Those are the things, because in the end, that's all that really matters. But you don't know that until you know Jesus. That's his light. That's what he brings to us. That's what he teaches us. That's what he shows us. And of course... The Pharisees attack, and and the the teachers of the law attack and criticize, and he goes back and forth over who he is and what's his role, and um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna end here in 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 chapter eight, verse thirty one, thirty two. This is a scripture pretty well known for us here in our church because we use it a lot because it, it it highlights something very significant. It says to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said. So who's he speaking to? Well, he's speaking to the the Jews who believed him. And they had faith in him. They they believed in him. And according to most of the world's understanding, if you believe in him, then you're a Christian. And that is definitely not Jesus' understanding. But that is what a lot of the people in the world think, is that, oh, if you believe in Jesus, you must be a Christian. No. And he makes that clear. He says, to the Jews who believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching." You are really my disciples. There's a conditional phrase here. In order to be his disciple, what must one do? Hold to his teachings. Hold to his teachings. What does it mean to hold to his teachings? It means you don't let them go. It means you don't let somebody take them away from you. It isn't something you do on weekends and then you live your life Monday through Friday. It isn't something you do only when you're at church. It isn't something you do when you're in a good mood. It's something you do 24-7. You hold to his teachings. You hold to it. That means you don't let it go. So 24-7, Sunday through Sunday, 
you're constantly holding to his teachings. And his teachings are holding you. Because if they don't hold you, then you can't hold them. In other words, you give yourself over to, I'm just, you commit yourself. I'm doing, I'm going to do whatever the Bible tells me to do. I'll never forget the day I made that decision. I counted the cost. I was scared because I knew I'd be held to it. And I remember I was studying the Bible with Jeff Chaconian. He said, do you commit to holding to his teachings? And I, ooh, oh, I, I took a couple steps back. And I said, I don't know. Maybe I need to find out a little bit more about him. And, and, and he laughed because he said, you've been saying you're a Christian that you do what he says. I said, yeah, but when you put it that way, <laughs> which is what I think a lot of us think would have thought. Will you hold to his teachings? Well, that's what it takes to be a real disciple of Jesus, a real Christian, is you hold to his teachings. He says, then you will know the truth. Okay, that's really important. If you don't hold to his teachings, you don't know the truth. We've talked about this before. You know the truth when you're living it. You become familiar with it. It's what Jesus said. Only by following him are you going to really know who he is. You say, well, how can you follow him if you don't know, if you don't even know who he is? Well, that's why you got to start with some faith. You got to have to have some faith. We have faith in many, many things. We can put some faith in Jesus and follow him and see what happens. I guarantee you, the truth becomes clearer and clearer. He says, then you will know the truth. The truth will set you free. Free of what? Free of many things. Fear, doubt, loneliness, pain, all these things that the truth helps. The truth specially delivered by someone who loves you and cares about you like Jesus. So who's a Christian? Well, someone who holds to his teachings. Not somebody who believes in them. Not somebody who has them sometimes. Not somebody who makes a half-hearted attempt. It's certainly not somebody who's perfect, but somebody who holds, who's always striving. And what does that mean? That means when you mess up, you repent. And you get right back on track. That's who we're talking about. Sinners. People who mess up. So we'll stop there. It's a great chapter. Uh, I think we get the gist of it with what we covered, and then we'll move on to chapter nine. We're getting into the heavy-duty chapters, and I'm not even sure I'm gonna ha- how I'm going to handle those, but because they're just so rich and so packed. But you begin to see how amazing Jesus is, how absolutely incredible he is. The last thought I want to leave you with is this weekend we have a, a special Sunday um, Sunday at 10 a.m. on April 26th. Uh, this is our website, metrolaregion.com, or you can go more directly to uh, metro.laicc.net.net. Yeah, metro.laicc.net. And that'll go right directly to the YouTube website. Um, so uh, I want to invite you to that. If if it, you know, tune in with us. This is going to be an all LA service, so people from all over LA are going to be a, on this service. It's going to be a great time, and uh, please join us this Sunday if you haven't been able to before. Uh, I think you'll enjoy it. It's going to be a special service, uh, so stay connected. Thank you so much. 
You've just listened to the Metro LA podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit metrolaregion.com.